This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Wake Up Live, Dick Donahue, live and in studio today. I want to start out by wishing everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Going to go ahead and go into our weekly wrap for this week, and it was an overall disappointing week for a market that is still looking for a Santa Claus rally to end the year. Tax loss selling efforts were likely part of this week's losses. The sentiment overall soured because of a growing belief that 2023 earnings estimates are too high and will be subject to downward revisions in coming weeks and months as the economic environment deteriorates. The S&P 500, which touched 4,100 last Tuesday, was drawn down to 3,800 level all week, which proved to be a key support area. Things got started on a weaker note as market participants digested a weaker-than-expected NAHB, that's National uh, National Association of Home Builders Housing Market Index report for December on Monday. Participants were also reacting to a Bloomberg report highlighting a rebalancing disposition that presumably favored bonds in the last few weeks of the year. To be fair, price action in the bond market this week did not corroborate that article. The 10-year note rose 27 basis points to 3.75%. The two-year note rose 11 basis points to 4.31%. Most of the action in the Treasury market was precipitated by a surprise move from the Bank of Japan. On Tuesday, the Bank of Japan announced a surprise tweak its yield curve control, or YCC, uh, policy to allow the 10-year JGB yield to move plus or minus 50 points uh, from 0.00 versus a prior ban of plus or minus a quarter of 25 basis points, which would be a quarter percent. Uh, as part of an effort to improve marketing fu- market functioning. This announcement, which came in conjunction with the Bank of Japan's decision to leave its benchmark rate unchanged at minus one-tenth of one percent, also caused some upheaval for the Nikkei uh, average, which was down two-and-a-half percent on Tuesday, and the current market in, in addition to sovereign bond markets. The yen surged as much as four percent against the dollar. Market participants also had to deal with some disappointing housing data before Tuesday's open, namely 11.2% month-over-month decline in November building permits, a leading indicator to seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.342 million homes. Single-unit permits were flat to down in every region. The S&P 500 uh, was below 3,800, scraping 37.95 on Tuesday's low before buyers showed up for a small rebound effort that only left the main indices with modest gains. The impetus for the reversal was the weakness itself. The major indices were in a short-term oversold position. At their lows on Tuesday morning, the NASDAQ composite and the S&P 500 were down 9.7% and 7.5% respectively from their highs last week. That oversold posture triggered some speculative buying interest and rooted in the belief 
that the market was due for a bounce. Things really took off on Wednesday with some well-received earnings reports from Dow Components, Nike, and leading transport company FedEx triggered some decent buying interest. Market participants also digested some better-than-expected consumer confidence data for December, which was another support factor for the broader market. That report overshadowed a weaker-than-expected existing home sales report for November that was released at the same time. And unfortunately, the rebound move soured promptly on Thursday following some disappointing earnings results and commentary from Micron, CarMax, and a a dour-leading economic indicators report and some cautious-sounding remarks from the influential fund hedge fund manager David Tepper on the market's prospects. Mr. Tepper said he's leaning short uh, the equity markets as he expects the Fed and other central banks to keep tightening and for rates to remain high for a while, making it difficult for things to go up. His comments resonated with market participants who recalled the hugely successful, successful Tepper bottom call uh, that he made in March of 2009. The resulting retreat was broad in nature, with major indices moving noticeably lower right out of the gate, dealing as well with rate hike concerns uh, after the third, third estimate of the third quarter showed um, an upward revision to 3.2% from 2.9%. The NASDAQ S&P 500, Dow were down 3.7%. The S&P was down 2.9%, and the uh, uh, NASDAQ was down 3.7%, S&P down 2.9%, and the uh, Dow was down 2.4%, respectively, at their Thursday lows. The S&P 500 was stuck below the 3,800 level, and Tuesday's low, 3,795 for most of the session, before the main indices managed to pair some of those losses in the afternoon trade. There was also no specific news catalyst for the account for the bounce, which appeared to be driven by some speculative bargain hunting interest following the earlier washout. Well, Friday's session also started on a downbeat note after November personal income and spending report showed no growth in real spending and PCE and core PCE inflation rates that are still too high on a year-over-year basis, up 5.5% and 4.7% respectively for the Fed's liking. This ration meshed with the durable goods orders report for November, which was weaker than expected and was subsequently followed by economic data at 10 a.m. Eastern time that showed new home sales were stronger than expected in November and that easing inflation pressures helped boost consumer sentiment in December. So once again, the S&P 500 slipped below the 3,800 level, soon found support as the new home sales and consumer sentiment data boosted investor sentiment and spurred some bargain-hunting interest. The major indices finished modestly higher on Friday, taking a positive step during the Santa Claus rally period, which is the last five trading days of the year plus the first two trading days of the new year. Separately, the market concluded that the House passed the um, $1.7 trillion government funding bill after the Senate passed it, leaving it to be signed with the President early next week. And sector performance this week was overall mixed, Six sectors finished, sectors finished higher, five sectors lower. The best-performing sectors were energy up 4.4%, utilities up 1.4%, the financials up 1.4%, consumer staples up 1%, and the weakest this week were consumer discretionary down 3.1%, information technology was down 2%, and those they, which were dragged down by their mega-cap components. So for the year-to-date... Uh, up through yesterday, 
The Dow Jones Industrial Average is now down 8.6%. The NASDAQ Index is down 32.9%. The S&P 500 is down 19.3%. And the Russell 2000 is down 21.6%. And again, a reminder, you cannot invest directly in the indexes, but uh, those are reflecting of what the market is doing. So Dick Donahue, Wealth Advisor with Asset Advisors, I'm going to leave, come back here shortly, but thank you for being with us. COVID-19 has tested our communities in unthinkable ways. In the face of crisis, Puget Sound Energy has given over 18 million in bill assistance to customers impacted by the pandemic, and together with PSE Foundation, gave 4 million in community grants for COVID relief. All the while, PSE continues to lead on clean energy with a goal to reach beyond net zero carbon emissions by 2045. It's part of our commitment to doing what's right for customers and communities. Together, we're creating a clean energy future for all. Learn more at psc.com together. Are you on Medicare or individual health insurance and wondering if you are on the right plan for you and your family? This is Marcia Neal with Vibrant USA. We understand the TV advertising and the mail you have been receiving may create more questions than answers. Although deadlines are coming, you may still have time to make a change. So call Vibrant USA at 866-733-5111. Our agents can review your plan options, answer your questions, and put your mind at ease. There's a lot going on right now, and broadcasters are on the ground covering all of it, bringing you the weather, the traffic, and breaking news, all while entertaining you 24 hours a day. Someone needs to tell you what's going on around the world and in our hometowns, and that someone is us. We are free radio. We are always there. We are broadcasters. Visit wearebroadcasters.com or text radio to 52886 to learn more. Furnished by NAB and this station. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. But I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning here on KGMI and... Uh, we're Asset Advisors. We are located out in Ferndale or out on the way to Ferndale in the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101 Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number is 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Also, a little note, we are not going to be having tomorrow's show. Uh, they will be doing Christmas music tomorrow, so... I'm going to kind of mix in some of the information that I normally would cover on the Saturday and Sunday shows. So if you hear some things that you normally hear me talking about and wondering where I'm going, that's why I'm doing it is I'm kind of using some material and information that I would normally use on that show tomorrow. So I'm going to start out with a high-frequency data tracker for the week. And we saw initial jobless claims uh, basically uh, down about nine-tenths of 1%. We saw continuing jobless claims. Uh, we're up about four-tenths of 1%. Box office receipts, as of the 22nd of December, took a big jump, up 319, almost 320%. Rail car traffic, down about 5%. Steel production, uh, as of the 19th, was down about a half a percent. Hotel occupancy, as of the 17th, was down almost 9%. Uh, restaurants saw a nice increase as of the 22nd. They were up almost 9.2%. TSA checkpoint data, of course, you expected over the holiday season, but as of December 22nd, 
We had uh, 2,319,307 passengers a day going through the checkpoints. That's down about 3.3% from where it was in 2019, but it was up 11.1% for the week. And the supply of motor gasoline uh, was up at about 5.6%. And global commercial flights also saw a big jump as of the 22nd, up 104,040 a day. Now, comparison-wise, back in 2019, 116,823. So still about 12,000 flights, almost 13,000 flights a day less than there was back in 2019. But that also saw an increase of 2.2%. So here's where I'm going to kind of loop back and cover some of the material that I normally would cover on the Sunday show. I am going to go ahead and do my global wrap-up. There are a couple things in here that I'd like to mention. Uh, One is that the price of a a barrel of West Texas intermediate crude oil gained $5 this week in $79.50. Volatility is measured by the CBOE volatility index declined to $21.65 from $23 a week ago. And I mentioned earlier, but is the Bank of Japan edging towards an exit? On Tuesday, the Bank of Japan unexpectedly widened the band around which it controls the yield in the 10-year Japanese government bond. The yield on that issued uh, soared toward the top of the top of the new band, which limits its movement to a half percentage point above or below zero. Previously, the 10-year yield was capped at a quarter percent, and the top of the quarter percent to to or minus 20.25 to a positive 0.25 percent range. Rising global yields have caused the Bank of Japan to intervene repeatedly to maintain the top of its band, which widened interest rate differentials, dramatically weakening the yen until finally being forced to support the currency in October. And investors had anticipated that any adjustment in Japanese monetary policy would wait until the appointment of a new Bank of Japan governor in April, but this week's shift, along with the highest core inflation rate in 40 years at 2.8%, has raised hopes of earlier action. And since the Bank of Japan's steps, the yen has strengthened broadly against the basket of currencies which Japanese equities have fallen sharply after losing the tailwind to overseas earnings provided by currency weakness. And we're looking for China is to go for growth in 2023. They have, the Chinese authorities have emphasized this week that in 2023, they're going to prioritize economic growth and help stabilize the property sector. The State Council, which is China's cabinet, said it will support major construction projects, private firms, and platform companies. And the People's Bank of China said it will strongly support a recovery in consumption and guide financial institutions to support mergers and acquisitions in the property sector. They hope for a rapid economic recovery after the lifting of years of COVID restrictions will probably be postponed given the, the prodigious surge in new infections. Bloomberg report on Friday that Chinese health authorities estimate that as many as 37 million people contracted the virus on the 20th of December alone. And a few quick hits here. The conference board's measure of U.S. confidence bounced to 108.3 in December from 101.04 in November as inflation continued to moderate. U.S. existing home sales declined 7.7% in November from the prior month, the 11th drop in the past 12 months. I will put some emphasis on next uh, Sunday's show, uh, be using a lot of the economic data from this week since we don't have the show tomorrow, and they're really light on economic information coming out next week, so I'll go ahead and spend some time on those, those, those informations on next Sunday's show. 
But South Korea exports contracted 8.8% in the first 20 days of December, an earlier indicator that global demands remain sluggish as the year draws to a close. In November, Taiwan also saw a sharp decline in exports. And in discussions from former Russian president and current deputy national security advisor, Chinese President Xi Jinping called for peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. And the U.S. GDP grew at an annualized 3.2% in the third quarter, an upward revision from the previous 2.9% estimate. Personal consumption was raised higher, boosting the upturn. Again, I'll spend time on next Sunday's show covering those information in detail. And the Conference Board's index of leading indicators fell 1% in November, the 10th decline in the last 11 months. And the Ukrainian President Zelensky thanked the U.S. Congress for its support in the Ukraine war and appealed for additional aid to address the joint session on Wednesday. Earlier in the day, U.S. President Biden had announced that the U.S. will send Patriot missiles to, to Ukraine to help defend against Russian missile attacks. And the European Union energy mister, ministers uh, reached an agreement to cap natural gas prices in the bloc when they hit 180 euros per megawatt hour for three straight days. The agreement is scheduled to come into force on the 15th of February. Natural gas prices reached a high of 340 euros per megawatt hour in August after Russia gas flows to Europe slowed to a trickle. And data released Thursday showed that the British economy contracted three-tenths of 1% in the third quarter uh, from the prior quarter. As the cost of living crisis continues to take its toll, the handoff of the fourth quarter looks to be poor due to the strikes and continued soft, soft consumer spending. And the U.S. released several economic indicators on Friday, the most important among them the core personal consumption expenditure price index, the Fed's preferred in, uh, inflation metric, was in line with estimates rising two-tenths of 1% in November from the month before and 4.7% year-over-year to a level meaningfully above the central bank's 2% target. Real personal spending was flat compared to the prior month, while durable goods orders were soft, falling 2.1%. And core capital goods orders which strip out defense and aircraft orders rose two-tenths of 1%. A monthly survey by the University of Michigan showed that inflation expectations among consumers edged lower in December, and those surveyed expect inflation to moderate to 4.4% over the next year, down from 4.6% this last month. And over the next 5 to 10 years, they expect inflation of 2.9%, down from an earlier 3% view. So it's interesting where things are happening around the globe. I'm going to spend, start this piece. I'm going to take a break here in a second. But um, Congress passed the Secure 2.0, Secure Act 2.0, and that was on December 23rd with the clock ticking. Uh, they passed the uh, what they call Secure 2.0 Act of 22 as part of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 23, which is a $1.65 trillion on most spending package to keep the government running. The new retirement legislation will not be a game-trader that the original SECURE Act was. It makes significant alterations to the retirement account rules. Many of these changes impact workplace plans rather than IRAs. It's important to note that not all of the provisions that are immediately effective or even in 2023. Some do not apply until 2024, and some not for a decade. So there were 90-plus changes, but here are some of the key ones. The RMDH, now this is really one of the really important. If you're turning 72 next year, 
you got an extra year that you don't have to take your required minimum distributions. So basically, age for required minimum distributions, or RMDs, has increased to 73 starting this next year. The age will increase to 75, but not until January 1st of 33. So anyone currently subject to RMDs under the old 70.5 or 72 RMD rules must continue to follow their existing RMD schedule. But if you're turning 72 next year, I guess good news, because people don't want to have to take it, don't have to. That gives you another year to talk about things like uh, um, doing uh, uh, Roth conversions, et cetera. And there's some rule changes here that make Roth conversions a little bit more attractive as well. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and then I'll come back and talk some more about Secure Act 2 and what the op- some of the options are. Generosity pays, and West Edge Credit Union wants to encourage a little generosity. Now through the end of the year, receive an extra quarter point discount off your interest rate on any car, truck, or motorcycle loan from West Edge, and no payments for 90 days when you donate $25 to a local charity. Now that's a win-win. Offer valid through December 31st on approved credit. See West Edge for details. West Edge Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA, on the corner of James and Alabama. Online at westedgecu.org. What the... The hardwood, the carpeting, everything's soaked. The pipes must have burst. We better call Swans. If you have water damage, call Swans Clean Care and Restoration first. They work with all major insurance companies, and their new infrared thermal imaging technology enables them to detect hidden problems before they cause more damage. Swans is the water damage experts. They even offer ceiling drying for roof leaks. So call Swans today or visit them online at swanscarpetcleaning.com. Ready to make your change, make a positive change in our community? Become a Lydia Place housing hero. Much like dropping your change into a piggy bank, your monthly donation to Lydia Place will provide much-needed support to families experiencing homelessness in Whatcom County by providing housing, education, and mental health counseling on their path to stability. And with the Lydia Place monthly giving programs, it's easier than ever for you to make an impact. Choose to donate $5 or more each month or register your credit card online to join their Roundup program, which rounds every transaction up to the next dollar, donating the difference to Lydia Place's programs. No matter how you give, your monthly donation will provide emergency support to families in our community, and Lydia Place families will rest easier knowing your monthly contribution is something they can count on. Make your change add up and become a housing hero online at lydiaplace.org slash donate. I'm Dr. Miller, a dentist and a volunteer for Dental Lifeline Network. DLN is a nonprofit that has helped me literally change the lives of people in my community through the Donated Dental Services Program. DLN asks dentists to volunteer to see just one of the many patients in need each year. If you're a dentist or know a dentist, please share this information. Like me, they can make a real difference in someone's life. DLN makes it easy. Go to willyouseeone.org to learn more. That's willyouseeone.org. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanic.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. CBS News Brief. With bone-chilling temps, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir with a warning. You can get frostbite 
20 to 30 minutes of exposure. It is too dangerous to be outside today. The winter storm causing travel headaches for millions of Americans trying to get to their holiday destinations. Roads are messy and dangerous. And if you've got a flight scheduled, check before you go. This man's at New York's LaGuardia Airport, and he's frustrated. Trying to search on our phones, figure out other routes, maybe even taking a bus from here to Atlanta, which it'll take us about 21 hours. Fed workers with a sigh of relief. The House just passed the $1.7 trillion spending bill to keep government funded through September. Not everyone was on board. Republican Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. You're destroying the United States of America. Well, the bill is now on President Biden's desk awaiting his signature. CBS News Brief. I'm Stacey Lynn. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning, live and in studio. Before the break, I started uh, covering some of the changes that were going to take place as far as IRAs and retirement plans under the Secure Act 2.0 that was passed as part of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023. And I talked about the fact that they're going to be increasing RMD ages for those turning uh, so normally, norm, next year, somebody turned 72 next year, they would have been required to take it. Well, they got another year. They don't have to take RMDs until they turn 73. So that would be a little bit of a, a break for some people. We also saw in the act that they expanded the use of qualified charitable donations. So starting next year, you can now do a one-time only QCD to a charitable gift annuity charitable remainder unit trust or charitable remainder annuity trust that will be allowed. You may want to consider the the legal costs of setting the trust up, but you can do a one-time $50,000 QCD to a trust that you can control the distributions that way. Also, the QCD limit uh, will be $200,000. That's the amount that you can give in any one year, and that goes up from the current $100,000 and also, starting in 2024, it will be now indexed for inflation every year. So that number that you can do with QCDs, especially if you have a good, a big mega IRA and you're charitably inclined, uh, you'll be able to give more money than you have in the past. We're also seeing some Roth changes. And uh, uh, unlike Roth IRAs, Roth accounts and workplace plans have been subject to RMDs during the owner's lifetime. So once the person retired, if they had a Roth RMD, or if they had a Roth 401k, for example, they had to do RMDs every year. Well, beginning in 2024, this is no longer the case for Roth assets in a plan. They'll be exempt from those lifetime RMDs, which means that uh, they no longer have to take that money out of the plan every year. There's also a trend towards Rothification, and it continues as Congress seeks immediate tax revenue. So SEP plans, uh, simplified employee pension plans, and simple plans will now allow Roth contributions beginning in 2023. Further, all plan catch-up contributions for age 50 or higher income employees must be Roth contributions. I can't say that again. All further catch-up contributions for age 50 or higher uh, income employee, uh, for, for employees over the age of 50 must be Roth contributions. So that says that if uh, um, the uh, if, if you're putting away a catch-up contribution, you're over 50, you're going to be doing with after-tax money, and that starts in 2024. 
And finally, beginning immediately, plans can allow employer matching contributions to be made in Roth or an after-tax basis as well. Another one, really interestingly, starting in 2024, 529 plans, which are college savings plans. The beneficiaries of 529 college savings accounts are going to be permitted to roll over up to 35000 over the course of their lifetime from a 529 account in their name to a Roth IRA. These rollovers are subject to Roth IRA annual contributions limits, and the uh, 529 account must be made open. Must have been open for at least 15 years. So, a 529 beneficiary has found an alternative way to pay for his education. The new rule allow any leftover funds in the plan to avoid tax or penalty if rolled over. So, once again, if you've had a college 529 plan, it's been in existence for at least 15 years you will be allowed to roll over up to $35,000 over your lifetime into a Roth IRA. And again, these Roth rollovers are subject to the Roth annual contribution limits. So, uh, you know, like, for example, next year that would be $6,500, except it's not, they can't do it until 2024. But keep in mind, if you've got a balance sitting in that 529 plan, you now have got an option. The other option, of course, you've had for years is to move that money to another beneficiary, um, you could even leave the money in the plan, 529 plan, let it go tax-free, uh, and someday use it for your children or grandchildren or whatever. So there's a lot of flexibility as far as it was used by another family member. But um, we do a lot of 529 plans. If you've got questions about those, you can always give us a call, 360-733-1200. We're also seeing a 10% penalty exceptions. A slew of new 10% penalty exceptions have been added, all of which have different effective dates. These include distributions for terminal illness, which is effective immediately, federally declared natural disasters. There's a $22,000 limit, and that's retroactive to January 26th of 21. Pension-linked emergency savings accounts, that's a $2,500 limit, and that's effective in 2024. Domestic abuse, there's a $10,000 limit for that that avoids the $10,000 penalty. That takes effect in 2024. Financial emergencies, it has a $1,000 limit, and that takes effect in 24. Long-term care, $2,500 limit, and that's effective three dates from the date the new law is signed. So whenever Biden signs the law three years later, you can take out up to $2,500 for long-term care. Kind of pity amounts in some of those things, in my opinion, but they're there. Just more confusion. Also, missed RMD penalty reduction. This one's pretty significant. Effective next year. The penalty for failure to take an RMD is reduced from 50% to 25%. If the missed RMD is corrected in a timely manner, the penalty is further reduced to 10%. So what they're saying is in the past, if you did not take your RMD on time, in the past you had a tax penalty of 50% for not taking that. That's being automatically reduced down to 25%. And if you correct it in a timely manner, that penalty will now be 10%. And so what's not in this act? Well, there's no fix to the at least as rapidly rule. And for those beneficiaries that are subject to RMDs in years one to nine under the 10-year rule when death is on or after the required beginning date of the uh, decedent, Congress could have easily corrected here and chose not to. So it seems more likely that the IRS is going to keep this complicated RMD rule in place. So basically a non-spousal, and it's kind of simplifying it here, a non-spousal beneficiary of an IRA, say a child, a grandchild, or whatever, uh, we thought when they originally passed the, the, the first SECURE Act back in 2019 
that you could essentially wait 10 years to test taking money out. Well, a year ago in February, or this last February, I guess I should say, the IRS came out with some rules that changed that. And basically they said, no, you have to take money out over years one to nine according to at least a minimum amount. And there's a table we use to help to calculate that. And so you're going to have to do that one to nine. And we thought maybe when they passed Secure 2 that they would go in and clarify what their intent was. And um, as politicians do, they don't always clarify very much very clearly. Anyway, uh, while there are some bigger impact items, the Massive Secure 2 Act is loaded with numerous other provisions. But we'll keep you posted and keep track of those latest developments. And uh, we'll keep talking about them here on Wealth Wake Up Live. Okay, interesting story came out this last week, and I kind of thought it was kind of interesting, so I'm going to talk about it here for uh, real quick. And basically the question is, is the Bureau of Labor Statistics cooking the books? Last week, Zero Hedge achieved the impossible. They managed to make a report from the Philadelphia Federal Reserve go viral. The topic in question, how many jobs did the U.S. economy actually gain in the second quarter of this year? 10,000 or 1 million. And last Tuesday, Tucker Carlson took it to to torch it as well, claiming the Bureau of Labor Statistics is cooking the books for the Biden administration. Given the amount of attention this esoteric and in spite of the viral nature of the story, it is esoteric, argument is getting, we think it's worth addressing what's going on. To begin, we do not believe the U.S. Labor Department is clearly showing signs of a slowdown, and we've been vocal about our expectations of a recession next year. We just doubt that the job growth was this week was that was that week this last spring. The Philadelphia Fed isn't usually a primary source of data on the labor market. Off the top of our heads, we can't even remember reading a labor market report from them in the past. Two reliable and time-tested sources for BLS surveys are large business and establishment survey and the surveys of individuals or the household survey. Given the Philadelphia Fed just started publishing results from its own internal model, meaning there isn't much of a track record to go on, we'd say it's probably right to take this report with a grain of salt. Theoretically, everything about this model might be sound, but even sound models often clash with reality. For example, the ADP model has never lived up to its type. Also, keep in mind, there are 12 Federal Reserve banks across the U.S., If all of them were to do similar proprietary reports on the labor market, the results would probably have a wide range of outcomes. So this loan report shouldn't be seen as representative. So what did the Fed, Philadelphia Fed, find? Well, using data on 33 states plus the District of Columbia from the quarterly census of wage and employment report, the wage, a lagging report that is often used to make revisions to overall payroll data, They believe the payroll gains were officially reported in the second quarter were significantly overstated. Instead of 1.05 million jobs, the U.S. only added 10,500. That's a downward revision of 99%. But the report didn't just include estimates for the second quarter of 22. It also included estimates for the prior two quarters, which received a lot less attention. Those estimates show a much smaller downward revision in the first quarter, but they also show a big upward revision in the fourth quarter of 21. So it's a lot less sexy than an implied conspiracy, but we might be seeing here as just a result of seasonality not being fully accounted for in its relatively new model. And one of the problems with the analyzing employment in 22 is that there's been a large divergence between the household survey and the establishment survey. 
In fact, right now, before any revision, the household survey shows unemployment actually fell 342,000 in the second quarter. So if one wanted to take the Philadelphia Fed report number of 10,500 jobs gained at face value, you could easily make the argument that the BLS is cooking the books to make the Biden administration look bad. But given the divergence between the data and the household and establishment surveys this year, we wouldn't be surprised that all but downward revisions in the employment data will be released in March of 23. But we'll all definitely take over we'll take take over on 10,500 jobs added in the second quarter. Moreover, is there really such a huge job slowdown in the second quarter to be reflected in other data? But the ISM employment surveys are relatively strong. Well, the ADP employment estimates, in spite of their drawbacks, never plummeted. In addition, initial unemployment claims, the SA staffing index surveys and business from the NFIB and elsewhere reflected strong hiring desires. Add on the fact that services sector, which was crushed by pandemic restrictions, has been roaring back this year, and we just don't find the downward revision is possible. So a wide range of estimates on the labor market is somewhat expected given the pandemic-related measures. From lockdowns to monetary policy, they've distorted everything. However, we don't think the BLS is making or trying to deceive anyone. And while the labor market eventually weakens, it won't be this subtle. So we're just saying that report probably was not correct. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here in KGMI. We'll be here shortly. I'm ready for Christmas. The shopping is all done and the gifts are wrapped. What did you get me? Who was that? Me, your house. I was thinking I deserve a gift this year, too. What were you thinking? I'm getting older and could use some updates. My heating and cooling systems are getting older, and they're not as efficient. It'd be nice to replace them before they totally fail. That is a good idea. I heard Linden Sheet Metal is having a winter sale. They are a great company. And hey, while you're at it, a cozy fireplace might be nice. And Linden Sheet Metal has those too. Give your home a gift this Christmas season. We have furnace, air conditioning, and heat pump discounts up to $900 off. Utility rebates up to $1,500, and starting January 1st, there are tax credits up to $2,000, and it doesn't end there. All our showroom fireplaces are 40% off, and new ones are $300 off installation. Linden Sheet Metal, serving the Northwest for over 80 years. In the shop. Every time I turn around, my dang old catalytic converter is missing. You can go through the box just to get a breakfast sandwich, and if you shut your car off for a second, that cat's going to be missing. Steve from Panacea, Kirk from Angler, Brian from Dr. John's, and Dan from Bellingham and Burlington Automotive. Catalytic converters, I can't count the number we've done in the last six months. Join them on In the Shop, 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham at KGMI.com. Whatcom County and Northwest Washington offer endless beauty, and our phones make it possible for us to capture it instantly. And now KGMI is giving you another way to share your incredible pictures with Whatcom Wanderings. Just go to KGMI.com, look for Whatcom Wanderings, post your photos, and tell us where you took them. So share your pictures of our area's incredible beauty and complexity with Whatcom Wanderings at KGMI.com. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. 
Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning here live in studio. If you got questions for us, you can always give us a call, 360-733-1200. I'll give you more details next week, but on January 6th, uh, Jamie Hopkins with the Carson Group will be doing an in-depth uh, report online. It'll be available, and I'll give you the lo- login information next week uh, on the new Secure 2 and so just keep that in the back of your mind, January 6th. Okay, well, we're seeing inflation is taking a bite out of Christmas cheer. Americans uh, may want to limit the light the fireplace. This is not necessarily the gas fireplace. This is wood or other fuels. More this winter cut back on holiday festivities, according to data from the Energy Information Administration and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Energy costs have remained constantly high for over a year having risen by 13% since November of last year. American families can expect to pay significantly more for their heating oil as the colder months approach. As of the week of December 12th, the average cost of residential heating oil hit $4.56 per gallon, which is about 95% higher than it was the week of December 14th in 2020, uh, shortly before Joe Biden took office. Now, natural gas... Heat and electricity are no, are no exception. According to the Energy Information's uh, winter fuel forecast, natural gas prices are estimated to be about 28% higher. Electricity prices are estimated to be about 20, 10% higher than last winter. Should we see a harsher winter, those numbers can increase. For families in the West, the Midwest, and the Northeast, there's over 50% of the households rely on natural gas heating for their homes. These price shocks are going to carry extra weight. I know my heat bill for the office went from about $140 a month ago up to over $500 this last month. So uh, I can see some big increases taking place. Anyway, beyond anticipating a rise in the cost of heating their homes, American families can also plan to spend more on fuel for the holiday travel. While prices for regular gasoline and diesel have dropped slightly, they're still much higher than they were before President Biden took office. As of the week of December 19th, regular retail gas prices were 40% higher than they were during the week of December 21st, 20. Diesel prices were 75% higher. These consistently high fuel costs also have potential to affect the cost for gifts for your Christmas. Approximately 15 million registered commercial trucks on the road are responsible for transporting over 70% of U.S. goods based on value. While gasoline powers about 23% of that fleet, Diesel fuels over 75% of it. So as diesel and gasoline prices continue to rise to the extent that they can, truckers pass along the cost to their customers, who then pass along the cost to their consumer. And unfortunately, inflated costs do not end with fuel and costs for presents under the tree. Families can also plan to pay more for their holiday meals this winter. New BLS uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics data released on December 13th show that food prices have risen 10.6% since November of last year. This translates to families paying 7.8% more for Christmas ham, 9.6% more for fresh vegetables and side dishes. And if you're planning on setting up a plate of cookies and a glass of milk for Santa, you can expect to pay 14.7% more for milk and 19.2% more for the cookies. And with inflation above 7%, American families already feel a pinch in their wallets around the holidays, absent from rising costs to heat their homes, drive their cars, feed their families. Yet in the midst of consistently high prices, the administration continues to block solutions and, and feed inflation with poor policies. And so Congress and the administration ought to avoid picking winners and losers when it comes to energy, work to eliminate regulatory barriers and ultimately drive up prices, 
Doing so would offer some financial reprieve for countless American families and bring hope for the year to come. And talking about hope, I mentioned that $1.65 trillion spending bill that was passed. Well, there's the weird, there's the woke, and there's the wasteful. There's 10 flavors of pork for 10 states bringing home the bacon. So a few of the highlights from the nearly $2 trillion uh, tax, tax bill that was passed. New York, for example, their pork includes hip-hop, uh, social justice causes. Massachusetts pork is pillow dancing, woke hearts, and businesses. Hawaii pork is shoreline equity and fish collections. Illinois also is getting some pork for destroying buildings, charging buses, and qualifying justice. Maryland's oysters was por- uh, pork was oysters, history, and uh, equitable art- artificial intelligence. Missouri's pork was animated and proud. Uh, Connecticut's pork was kelp and trolleys. California's was street dancing, neighborhood equity, and equal equitable energy. Pennsylvania got um, identity-based pork. Maine's pork with blueberries and 3D printing housing. And there's a lot of honorable mentions here. There was $100 million that uh, went to the Woolsey Finial Bridge Project in Alabama. Uh, That's the home state of the chief GOP appropriator. There was $6.8 million to real estate strategy to obtain racial equity acquisition in Delaware. There's $4 million for soy-enabled soy rural road construction in Iowa. And I can continue on talking about all the pork that was in that bill. But I'm going to go ahead and change the topic here and end today's show. Uh, I've used a version of this same uh, t- uh, presentation ever since uh, 2009. We're going to talk about the greedy innkeeper or the generous capitalist. And the Bible story of the virgin birth is at the center of much of the holiday cheer this time of year. The book of Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus decreed a census should be taken. Mary gave birth after arriving in Bethlehem and placed baby Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Some people think that Mary and Joseph were mistreated by the greedy innkeeper who only cared about profits and decided the couple was not worth his normal accommodations. This version of the story or narrative has been repeated many times in plays, skits, and sermons. It fits an anti-capitalist mentality that paints business owners as greedy or even evil. It persists even though the Bible records no complaints that there was apparently no charge for the stable. It may be the stable was the only place available. Bethlehem was overcrowded with people forced to return to their ancestral home for a census ordered by the Romans for the purposes of levying taxes. If there was a problem, it was due to unintended consequences of government policy. If this narrative, the government caused the problem. The innkeeper was generous to a fault or even a hero. He was overbooked and he charitably offered his stable, a facility he built with unknowing foresight. The innkeeper was willing and able to offer his facility even as government officials who ordered and administered the census slept in their own beds with little care for the well-being of those who had traveled regardless of their difficult life circumstances. You know, if you must find evil in either one of these narratives, remember that evil is ultimately perpetuated by individuals, not institutions in which they operate. This is why it's important to favor economic and political systems that limit this use and abuse of power over others. In the story of baby Jesus, a government law 
that requires innkeepers to always have extra rooms or to make anyone who asks would fix the problem. But then the laws would also have unintended circumstances. Fewer investors would back hotels because the cost of new regulations reduce returns on investment. A hotel big enough to handle the rare census would be very big to normal times. Even a bed and breakfast would face the potential of being sued. There would be fewer hotel rooms, prices would rise, innkeepers would once again be called greedy. And if history is our guide, the government would chastise them for price gouging and then they would pay, try to regulate prices. So this does not mean that free markets are perfect or, or create utopia. They aren't and they don't. But businesses can't force you to buy a service or a product. You have a choice, even if it's not exactly what you want. And good business people will try to make you happy in creative and industrious ways. Government doesn't always care. In fact, if you happen to live in North Korea or Cuba and you're not happy about the way things are going, you can't leave. And just in case you try, armed guards will help help you think things through. This is why the framers of the U.S. Constitution made sure there were checks and balances in our system of government. These checks and balances don't always lead to good outcomes. We can think of many times when some wanted to ignore these safeguards. But over time, the checks and balances help prevent the kinds of depotism that we've seen develop elsewhere. Neither free market capitalism nor the checks and balances of the Constitution are the equivalent of having a true savior. But they should give us all hope that the future will be brighter than many seem to think. Going to get out of here a little early, I guess, but uh, Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. A reminder, we do not have a show tomorrow. They'll be having uh, Christmas music. So we'll be back next Saturday and have our next Sunday show as well. And so, again, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I do thank you for listening. I thank you for your business. I thank you for calling us. Um, and ha- letting us serve you, and I hope that uh, next year, 2023, is a, a better year. We'll be in next next Saturday, New Year's Eve, so we'll have a chance to mention that again. But uh, thanks, and have a great weekend. Enjoy your family. Have Just do great things for each other. Merry Christmas. Voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.